millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. For anyone who listens to my podcast, you will know that I gravitate towards missing persons cases. There is something about a person living their lives one day and then vanishing the next without any explanation, without any trace of their whereabouts, and then decades go by and the case goes cold. How can a person just disappear into thin air? The Charlie Project is a detailed, amazing website that lists more than 14,000 missing persons cases from right across the United States. To me, it's always sad when these profiles only have a sentence or two because of the lack of information available. But then there are others whose disappearances are chilling to the core. Creepiest Charlie Project cases this week are mysteriously listed. Number 4. Christine Seal. Father's Day 1972, Mount Vernon, Missouri. The Seals, husband Lynn, his wife, 22-year-old Christine, and their three-year-old son David. The family spent the day with Christine's parents in Table Rock Lake. They would later describe Christine as seemingly happy, and she was enjoying the sunshine and family time in one of their favourite places. The next morning, June 19, 1972, it started like any other day. Lynn got up early to get ready for work whilst Christine and David slept in. The Seals lived in a mobile home on a dairy farm, about a mile and a half outside of Verona, and Lynn worked on this farm. Christine also worked. She was a cosmetologist, but had the day off, so was planning on catching up with the household chores and spending time with little David. Lynn left around 8am, with his family still tucked up in bed. And what happens next is still a mystery 50 years later. The mailman would come by on his route at 9.30. He would later report only seeing the little boy standing alone just inside the screen door, but there was no Christine. Only 15 minutes after this, Lynn stopped back at the family home. Given he worked on the property, it was not unusual for Lynn to come see his wife and son during his breaks. He walked in the home to find David crying on the kitchen floor, and Christine was nowhere to be seen. Police have considered several theories throughout the decades since Christine disappeared. Another cosmetologist, Carol Blades, was murdered in neighbouring Nixa, Missouri, three years earlier, in 1969. The possibility the two cases were connected was considered by investigators. However, no solid link between the two could ever be substantiated. Another theory was this may have been a robbery-gone-wrong situation. The day after Christine's disappearance, an elderly brother and sister in nearby Youngville, Missouri, they were assaulted and robbed after their home was broken into. The assailants were two men in white hoods. No further descriptions have been made available. But this led police to wonder if Christine's abductor initially broke in to rob the home, and then it all went wrong from there. 
Maybe she accidentally got killed and the assailants hid her body. Maybe they took her for other unsavoury reasons. However, nothing appeared to be missing from Christine's home and there was no sign of a struggle. There was nothing to support this theory either. Christine's purse and other personal belongings remained in the home, although her nightgown and bathrobe were missing. All her shoes were accounted for, so if she left the home on her own accord, she would have been barefoot. Investigators searched for Christine with the help of bloodhound search dogs. Her scent was followed from the home to a spot behind the family car in the driveway, before stopping abruptly. This meant Christine must have gotten into a car at some point to leave the area, either voluntarily or against her will. The only lead police have ever received came in the weeks after Christine went missing, a witness changing a flat tyre in front of Lee Church, northwest of Verona. He would later report seeing a nude woman running out of the rear door of the church. He saw her run over a ridge before disappearing from his sight. He had seen Christine's missing persons flyers, and he believed this woman to be the missing young mother. However, police could not find this mysterious naked woman, and a search of the church found items inside suggesting someone had been living there for quite some time. It is not believed this woman was Christine. Christine's husband, Lynn, filed for divorce two years after her disappearance. He then remarried and his new wife legally adopted Christine's son, David. Sadly, David does not remember his mother or what happened on that fateful day, but he has publicly stated in media interviews that he does not believe his father had any involvement in his mother's disappearance. Usually around this time of year, I get to feeling really tired, unmotivated and just blah. Between being a mother to three, my day job and the podcast, I hold on to stress and that affects my sleep. Wrap that up all in a bow and I've become a little too reliant on coffee to get me through my day. Then, out of nowhere, Magic Mind reached out. And Magic Mind is this little green shot containing a combination of 12 active ingredients designed to stimulate focus, creativity, energy and motivation, all while decreasing stress. I was hesitant at first. I've tried so-called natural energy shots before. They taste disgusting and gave me nothing for the privilege. But then, what did I have to lose? I tried it for five days. Instead of a morning coffee, I mixed in the Magic Mind shot with a glass of sparkling water. Now, for one, they actually taste really nice. Not only did I not miss my morning coffee after the first day or two, I've more than halved my caffeine intake throughout the day. And because I'm not relying on the coffee jitters, my sleeps are less disrupted, so I wake up more refreshed. And then, thanks to the L-theanine, I'm more productive and focused the next day. I am a complete convert and will be buying these magic little green shots again. It's a total game changer. Now I have a 20% off code to share with you guys. It's listed 20. To use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash listed and enter the code listed 20 at checkout. The best part is they have a money back guarantee. Better yet, if you get the subscription, it's 40% off. My 40% off code only lasts 10 days, so get to it. Number 3. Rebecca Alsup 
34-year-old Rebecca Alsop did not have an easy life. Growing up in southeast Missouri, which is known to be a hotbed for petty crime in the epicentre for methamphetamine manufacturing. And this resulted in Rebecca falling into the world of drug addiction. This was particularly not ideal for Rebecca, as she already had a heart condition that required her to have three surgeries in 2016 alone, one where she had a pacemaker installed. Rebecca was also involved in a violent and toxic relationship with boyfriend Craig Allen Wood. Together they lived in a camping trailer on his parents' property in Wayne County, Missouri. Rebecca was unemployed and deep in a drug addiction, so she relied on Wood completely. Unfortunately, she would have felt helpless and trapped in her situation, a situation that escalated to horrifying levels in 2016. 2016, an acquaintance of Wood would later claim Wood offered him three cars, a motorcycle, and half of Rebecca's life insurance policy if he would shoot and kill her. Now, the acquaintance obviously declined this offer. Wood would then allegedly ask him what would happen if leftover water from a methamphetamine pipe was injected into Rebecca's legs. The acquaintance told him that he thought it would kill her. The acquaintance never believing Wood would actually go through with this plan. However, not long after this conversation, Wood filled some bottles with bong water, and one night while Rebecca was high on drugs, he injected her in the legs with the water, but he would later complain to the acquaintance that, quote, it didn't kill that bitch, unquote. Rebecca was admitted to hospital and had both of her legs amputated. She was put in an induced coma while her body recovered. During this time, Wood attempted to have her removed from life support, but because he wasn't her legal husband, the hospital refused to comply with his request. At the time of her disappearance, Rebecca had been fitted with prosthetic legs, but she still relied on a wheelchair for mobility. February 16, 2017, 1pm. A friend of the couple stopped by the trailer for a visit. This friend would later report Rebecca was shaking and distressed during this visit, that she claimed Wood took all her money and cut up her cell phone SIM card so she couldn't leave him. When this friend questioned the bruises on Rebecca's left cheek and arm, Rebecca said she got them when Wood pulled her off the bed by her hair. She told this friend that she was scared of Wood, scared that he would kill her. Rebecca told the friend she was leaving the next day regardless and that she was headed to the Poplar Bluff area to escape. February 18th, 2017. Another friend of the couple came for a visit and they would later report that Rebecca was nowhere to be seen. However, her wheelchair was in the burn barrel on fire. When they questioned Wood about it, he didn't seem to want to talk about her. Rebecca would soon be reported missing. And after police discovered all of her belongings left behind, her wheelchair, her prosthetics and her heart medication, medication she needed to take every day, police would classify her disappearance as suspicious, as it was literally impossible for her to just walk away on her own. Just after Rebecca went missing, a woman called police to report her son was forced by Wood to bury Rebecca's body. But when he was interviewed by police about what he knew, he denied this was the case and that he knew nothing of Rebecca's whereabouts. He claimed that others, who he would not name, they used his car and when they returned it, there was all blood and hair inside. 
He no longer had this car, though, because shortly afterwards he cleaned and sold the car, providing police with the contact details of the car's new owner. The police tracked down the person who bought the car. He confirmed the car was extremely clean when he bought it, but he no longer had it either. But after using it for a while, he sold it to a scrapyard, and in turn they crushed it and disposed of the scrap metal. Police had nothing left to test to see if Rebecca's DNA was there. July 19, 2019. Craig Allen Wood was arrested for the first-degree murder of Rebecca and for first-degree assault for the incident where Rebecca lost her legs. According to the court documents, police believed Wood killed his girlfriend by striking her in the head with an ashtray. While in jail, Wood allegedly told his cellmate there were many places he could hide Rebecca's body where it would never be found. The same cellmate would also allege that he saw Wood sitting on the bunk one night, crying about how he shouldn't have killed Becky. September 2019. The charges were dismissed at the request of the prosecution. They stated they did not have enough evidence to go forward to trial. However, they planned to refold charges at a later date when the evidence was uncovered. Rebecca Alsup's disappearance remains unsolved. Number 2. Star Palumbo Star Palumbo lived in Tucson, Arizona, with her family until 1999, when she moved to Reno, Nevada, to live with her grandmother. She'd been charged with a few petty crimes in Tucson before the move, so she was after a fresh start. She'd even gotten herself a new job at the local pawn shop. But according to friends, Star had become embroiled in the world of drugs by early 2000, in particular methamphetamines. But the income from working at the pawn shop wasn't able to support this new habit. Investigators would later state they believed Star may have turned to sex work for extra income. Investigators would later state they believed Star may have turned to sex work for extra income. They would later find a phone book full of men's names and phone numbers, only further endangering herself with a new risky lifestyle. Sometime on April 25th, 2000, the time is not reported in any news article I could find, but Star called her mother in an apparent manic state. She sounded paranoid, believing her phone was tapped and that she was being followed. Heartbreakingly, Star told her mother she wanted to come home to Arizona. Around midnight, April 26, 2000, 25-year-old Star was found hiding behind a truck in the restricted area of the Reno-Tahoe International Airport. She appeared to be disorientated and frightened. Star would tell the airport police officer who found her that she was looking for her sister, who Star claimed ran out on the tarmac. The police officer did not believe her and would later tell police he believed that she was hallucinating. He wasn't sure what to do. Star didn't seem a danger to herself or anyone else, but he didn't want to get her into any trouble. The airport police officer drove Star to the closest hotel, the Reno Hotel and Casino, which was only a few blocks away from the airport. Star was last seen entering the casino just before 1.30am. And even though she entered the hotel, the hotel would have no reports of Star actually checking in. Her whereabouts after this point have never been uncovered. The following day, a car was found illegally parked at the airport. Upon running the plates, it was found the car belonged to Star Palumbo. 
Inside the car, police found what appeared to be all of Star's belongings, suggesting that she'd been living in her car. Inside was her cell phone, $600 in cash, copies of emails sent to the White House. These emails written by Star mentioned she believed the government was trying to kill her. Also in the car were two how-to books on the subject of changing your identity. Most alarming was a drawing of Star depicting herself being bound and gagged. How police know the drawing was of Star, it's not clear. But all of this gave an insight into Star's rapidly declining mental health. Said Reno Police Detective David Jenkins, quote, There are two very likely possibilities. The first is that she is suffering from some kind of either organically caused or drug-induced psychosis. And she's a sick woman and doesn't know who or where she is. And the second possibility is that she's been a victim of a serious crime and she has either been murdered or she can't contact her family and friends. Unquote. The only promising lead that was looked into by investigators came in December 2000 when a report was made by a casino owner in Elko, Nevada. And Elko is 300 miles east of Reno, where Star was last seen. The casino owner reported to police that a young woman matching Star's description came into the Silver Dollar Casino looking frightened. No one was with her, she was alone. She told her her name was Star and that she was being chased or attempting to hide from a pimp. Star reportedly became very upset when she saw a man looking through the bar window and she would eventually leave the casino with another unidentified young woman. Despite a widespread and extensive search for Star, there have never been any other credible sightings of Star. Unsubstantiated rumours suggest several different theories resulting in Star's demise, one being that she died of a drug overdose, her body then dumped in the desert. Another popular theory on true crime and unsolved mysteries online forums is that Star may have possibly been sold into sex trafficking, something that is prevalent in the Nevada area. Unfortunately, Star's disappearance remains unsolved and appears to be largely forgotten about in the mainstream media and has since gone cold. Number 1. Janice Pocket On the afternoon of July 26, 1973, in Tolland, Connecticut, seven-year-old Janice Pocket begged her mother, Catherine, to allow her to go ride her bike. She wanted to find a dead butterfly that she had hidden under a rock a few days earlier. The family had just gotten back from a shopping trip, and Janice and her sister Mary had been arguing on that trip about a toothbrush. And even though Janice had never been allowed to go out riding by herself before, Catherine was glad to allow her daughter to ride outside to burn off some energy. So with that, Janice hopped on her metallic green bike with a banana seat and a bell, an empty envelope for the butterfly tucked in her pocket, and she pedalled down Anthony Road out of her mother's sight. Unfortunately, her family would never see Janice again. After about a half an hour, Catherine and Mary became worried and started to search for her. Her mother finding Janice's bike on a gravel road near some woods about a half a mile from their home. The butterfly and the envelope have never been found. The police believing Janice was abducted after finding her butterfly and was on her way back home. A massive search party was organised that covered the surrounding area. For weeks, more than 800 people searched inch by inch over nearby roads and fields, 
looking for any trace of Janice, any evidence, clothing or DNA. Police on horseback for height advantage desperately looked for any bike or tyre track that might have been left behind. However, nothing has ever been found. The police also believe that Janice's disappearance may be connected to those of four other young girls who disappeared from the same area over the span of a decade. All the missing girls ranged in age from 7 to 20 years old. Two of these girls would be found in the years that followed, but the other three, including Janice, remain missing to this day, and it is unclear whether these cases are connected. In the early 1980s, pedophile Charles Pierce confessed that he had killed Janice and buried her next to another missing child, three-year-old Angelo Pugsley. Angelo went missing in 1979 and he has never been found. Pierce claimed he buried both Janice and Angelo in separate graves in Lawrence, Massachusetts. No graves that match the description given by Pierce have ever been uncovered and this theory has since been dismissed. In 2000, child-sized bone fragments were found in the garage of Nathaniel Barjona in Great Falls, Montana. Barjona had already been charged with the abduction and murder of a Montana boy who vanished in 1996. He had been accused of cannibalism as well as child molestation. Some believe the bone fragments belonged to Janice. Their reasoning was that Barjona lived only 20 miles from the Pocket family home, and even though he was only 14 years old when Janice went missing, at this point he had already committed violent crimes. He had strangled another child. DNA testing would unfortunately determine the bones did not belong to Janice. Or maybe fortunately, given what she would have gone through if Bar Jonah had been responsible for her death. Frighteningly, the bone fragments did not belong to any missing child on the FBI's missing person register, and the origins of these bone fragments remain a mystery to this day. In 2002, Barjona declared his innocence on all the charges and stated he was not involved in Janice's disappearance either. He would die in prison in 2008. In 2018, on the 45th anniversary of Janice's kidnapping, Catherine and Mary held a candlelight vigil to remember the sweet little girl who loved butterflies. Quote, It's hard to believe that it's been 45 years of not knowing what happened to my sister. I will never give up hope that her case and the others will someday be solved. Unquote. The woods where Janice's bike was found and where the search for her took place has now been replaced by a school and recreation centre. Any hope that long-missing evidence into what happened to Janice would be discovered went unanswered. Sadly, Janice's mother, Catherine, died in 2019. Mary has said that she still thinks about her sister every day, quote, Every time I see a butterfly, that is my sister, unquote. What would you like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Please search Mysteriously Listed on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Research, additional writing, hosting and production is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.